transphobia or a strong America. You have that choice and that decision. You have the choice and decision whether you should pursue gender-affirming care yourself or for your children. Your actions today are going to take that right away from Floridians all across the state. When you graduated from medical school, you took an oath to do no harm. These decisions today will completely violate that oath. And I think upon that, you should be your medical license should be reviewed and should be considered to be revoked if you pass this legislation. Thank you. Transphobia, Transphobia. alive and well in Florida. In Florida. Ron DeSantis, good and fair. We love Ron, future president. Pick on those transgender youth. Those kids don't exist And snatch away All their healthcare I'm talking about that Transphobia Talking about that Transphobia Cause you know who runs it We're the GOP You know what Now you know what we did Bully all them transgender kids from sea to shine and see. Oh, come on, y'all. Let me hear you. Talking about transphobia. How we gonna take back the House and Senate? Transphobia. Yes, you're gonna vote for us. Because we're the GOP. Y'all know what we did. Bully Gonna bully all them transgender kids from sea to shining sea. This is the mood I'm feeling as election 2022 reaches a climax here in the United States. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And Tuesday, November 8th, Americans go to the polls. Election 2022, this campaign season nears the end, but the second most populous nation in the Americas held their election on Sunday. And I just want to say... Brasileiros, Brasileiros, Brasileirexes, Obrigad, thank you. From 120 million votes cast and a difference of maybe 2 million votes, Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva, former president of Brazil, who was exonerated after being imprisoned from a corruption case 18 months ago, has returned to power and defeated incumbent President Jair Bolsonaro by a razor-thin margin. Bolsonaro is a, is, was the head of state who said when he was running in 2018 that he'd rather see his son dead than gay. For the last four years, he's been the darling of the growing, creeping, far-right wing that seems to be coming to power even in the Western world. Needless to say, I'm quite glad, and I'm going to make the editorial comment here, that it's always nice when there's one less homophobe, transphobe making laws in the world.
congratulations, Lula, and goodbye, Mr. Bolsonaro, and good riddance. But closer to home, the struggle continues. We turn to Florida. Last Friday, the Florida Board of Medicine voted to start drafting a rule that would ban access to affirming health care for those under 18 in the state. They are the first state in the country to pursue such a rule, but this has been part of the Ron DeSantis I Want to Be President coordinated campaign against LGBTQ people in the state. This is really nothing new. By the end of a more than five-hour meeting, protesters were yelling shame, shame at the board members, and a group staged a die-in at the meeting, which was at a conference room in the lobby of the Orlando International Airport. On Tuesday, 300 Florida healthcare professionals signed a letter saying that the state got it all wrong. In the letter, which was published in the Tampa Times, they said, quote, while we agree that with the Florida Department of Health that guidance surrounding care of transgender youth requires a full and diligent understanding of the scientific evidence, their statement fails to follow their own recommendations. At the hearing itself last Friday, here's what those who opposed these new regulations had to say because most of them didn't get a say. Our child at age four um, was uh, came out as transgender. She told us who she is. We worked with a panel of experts, just to your point, we have a full team of people. She meets with a psychologist every single week. She's met with three over the years. For the past eight years, we've been on this beautiful journey helping our child who had suicidal ideation at age five and now is a healthy, happy 12-year-old thriving in Florida. But we are scared we're going to have to move because she has started gender-affirming care. Uh, today, I'm the mother of two little boys and one beautiful little girl. Um, our journey started uh, since my daughter could walk or talk. Ever since she could walk or talk, she presented as female. I thought I had a very creative little boy, possibly would grow up to be gay and never leave his mother. Um, she would wear dresses, fashion, long hair out of t-shirts. Um, and it wasn't until, and we allowed this to continue inside the home, but outside the home, we forced her to conform and to be a boy. We physically, at times, had to force her to put her boy clothes on. Um, we physically had to force her to cut her hair and keep uh, a short haircut. And these, these escalated to such an extent that it was becoming distressing, really, for all of us to physically force a child. Um, my daughter is a very determined person. She's always known who she is. We're not looking to have surgery. We're not looking to do anything harmful to our daughter other than support her mental health. It would be psychologically damaging if she had to go through puberty as a male. It would be psychologically damaging for my, her siblings, for our family. All we're allowing, asking that let the medical professionals treat each patient individually. Our doctor is here in this room. We have sought out psychiatry, psychological, medical, pediatric, endocrinologist help. So we do not make these decisions lightly, but these are the decisions that should be made by the families, not by the state and not by a board. Supporters got the bulk of the time to speak, including a number of medical experts and a group of detransitioners led by Chloe Cole, 
a young California girl who has become in some ways the darling of the anti-trans far-right media. Now, most of these people were not from Florida. But a different Floridian took to their social media this morning and put forth their displeasure of what came out of that meeting. Alyssa McKenzie, who's a field operative with the Human Rights Campaign based in Florida, had this to say. I am not surrendering my freedom to bigots. Uh, and I refuse to let anyone in this community do that. So my personal responsibility that I feel is to use the time and visibility that I have to coordinate a response. I need you to know how many people are fighting. I need you to know how many people are exhausted and tired of having to do this. And I need you to know from me to you, you are absolutely not alone. The Professional Disc Golf Association is rumored to be the next governing body in sport to decide that we're banning transgender women. Now, this is coming from the Instagram of Natalie Ryan. Now, Natalie Ryan is a professional disc golfer, and she's been, she had a pretty great year this year. She got two tournament wins, including one win which came down to a playoff hole in dramatic fashion against the season's tour champion, Christian Tatar. Now, this popped up on Natalie on Ryan's Instagram last week. My 2022 season has officially come to a close. And while it was a huge success in my book, I'm filled with dread that my first full year touring might be the only one. It has been challenging to try and play my best, knowing that the PDGA could decide to change the rules because of my success. But I did my best anyway. It's no secret at this point that a decision on my and many others' eligibility to play in the FBO division is near. My anxiety is spiking just thinking about it. My livelihood is on the line, but I care more about all of the other trans women that won't have the chance to play and compete with their peers. We want to enjoy the game the same everyone else does. I hope everyone understands that. Hashtag keep this golf inclusive. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this. But a few weeks ago, when this reporter interviewed Natalie Ryan, here's what she had to say, coming off the heels of her second win of the season. Hopefully I get to keep playing on tour. And, and hopefully the disc golf community doesn't come out and try and remove me from the game that I love. I think I'm always going to have to worry about it. I don't know if it's ever really going to be fully justified, but it, when it comes down to it, like my livelihood is based upon other people allowing me to play. This comes on the heels of the PDGA saying throughout this season that they were going to take a second look at their rules regarding transgender inclusion and have a thorough review of them. Now, part of that process was a survey that was handed out to their membership a few months ago. Now, this survey, survey asked certain things about the issue, but also asked some questions that got the governing body a lot of criticism. Questions such, such as, how often do you attend church and should your child be punished? Um, some people had said that it was akin to the type of questioning that, say, a right-wing candidate polling organization would do. And now, time for a couple of shout-outs. And our first one goes to David and Megan Roche. Now, those two 
ultra marathon champions were on the transporter room last June and got a pretty big win over the weekend. Um, Megan Roche gave birth to their first child on Friday. The child's name is Leo, or as, the, or as David called the new bundle of joy on his Twitter, Leo the Lionhearted. And according to David, it took 60 hours of labor to get this done. Wow, 60 hours. Kid, do you know? I know your mom is an ultra-endurance athlete, but that's a lot of endurance right there. But the couple's pleased to report that mom and baby are 100% healthy, hearts and all. As David said on his Twitter, life is wild. So inspired by them both. Leo. Acronym for love each other. David, Megan, congratulations. I look forward to beaming you up again in the near future. And I want to send a shout out to my little sister, Andrea Yearwood. Andrea Yearwood, the, the Connecticut High School State track champion, is now a student at North Carolina Central University. And she just found out this week that she's been selected as one of six 2022-2023 UNC Association of Student Government Fellows for the academic year. Yearwood said via Twitter that, quote, I can't wait to represent North Carolina Central University throughout the fellowship, as well as work with fellow members of my cohort in evaluating potential responses to social and academic issues impacting the 250,000 students within the UNC system. Ms. Yearwood, go get them, sis, and congratulations. And that's the Red Alert Klaxon. You know what that means. We have to take a break. Give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, amid the hearsay, the rumors, and the hysteria regarding transgender students playing school sports, we meet a journalist who dug a little deeper when the situation hit her neck of the woods. And she uncovered a lot of truth that people tried to hide. That and more next, I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And there's been a lot in the news this year about transgender inclusion in sport. There's been a lot in the news from the beginning of this year through the Leah Thomas controversy, through the matter of Emily Bridges, through this election campaign, which ends mercifully in in seven days. And just a reminder, if you can still register, do so. And if you are on November 8th, go vote. It's that important. But there's also been two stories that have really hit the hit the airwaves and the internets recently. One of those involved the story in Vermont about a locker room confronta- confrontation. There it turned out that it wasn't. But there was also another that was at a small community high school, Highlands High School in North Carolina. That involved their girls' volleyball team. During a match on September the 1st, there was a play in the game 
where an outside hitter for Highlands made a beautiful spike. 99 times out of 100, people would be just applauding the play and going on to the next play. But this was that 100th time. The player for Iwansi Dam High School was hit in the face with the ball. Not something that happens in high school volleyball from Maine to Maui. But the player was injured on the play. But what happened, but the story here is what happened afterwards. A lot of rumors, a lot of hearsay, and a lot of news stories that came from certain outlets about what happened. But there was one outlet that dug a little deeper. And that outlet was the Southern Scoop. They wrote a story that was basically straight down the middle. But some people criticized them for being straight down the middle because of what they didn't say about the matter of who the, about the kid who spiked the volleyball. There were rumors from a number of sources that the player who made that play was transgender. No confirmation from the county school board, no confirmation from the high school, not even confirmation from the North Carolina High School Ag Athletics Association. By the way, the Transporter Room and Outsports.com have reached out to people representing all those bodies. Most of them didn't want to talk. But the person who wrote the article and stood on journalistic principle is right here with us. Her name is Brittany Lofthouse. She founded the Southern Scoop in 2020 during the height of the COVID pandemic. She did a lot of legwork on the story. And because of that legwork, we're beaming her up. From Western North Carolina, Brittany Lofthouse, welcome to the Transporter Room, Energize. Thank you so much for having me on. Right from the beginning, what got you interested in this particular story? What, what led you to dig deeper? I was sitting in a, a meeting. Um, it was a, a joint meeting that was actually between the Macon County Board of Commissioners, the um, Highlands Board of Commissioners, and the Franklin Town Board. It was had all of our um, elected representatives in Macon County in one room, and that's when the kind of rumor happened. It was the day that Hiawassee Dam was supposed to play Highlands School. They were supposed to play at Highlands. Um, up until that day, they had had the high everyone in Highlands assume they were still playing. Um, and, uh, kind of got the word that Hiawassee Dam notified Macon County that they weren't, that they were going to forfeit that game. Um, the, that's the first time that I'd heard the rumor that they were forfeiting that game because of a player on Highlands team being transgender. Um, I was the first time I'd have had heard that rumor or that anyone had even brought an issue like that. And, um, I started to dig deeper. Then I reached out to the the school superintendent and the assistant principal of Highland school while I was sitting in that meeting I was able to confirm at that point that at that time they, that the meeting had been, um, or that the, the game had been forfeited, but at that time they, they weren't told why they weren't given a reason why they didn't know. They didn't say it was because of player safety. They didn't say it was because of any specific player. They were given no reason um, why. So at that point is when I kind of started to, to look into it a little bit more. How both the kids who were on each ends of what happened on that play been identified? 
I don't think publicly, no. I don't think anybody has has done that, has named either of them. And let I, I do want to make it very clear um, that that we we are talking about children. We're not talking about professional athletes. We're not talking about people who are in the public the public viewpoint. Not only are we talking about children when we're talking about this, like high school children, we're also talking about people in a very rural part of North Carolina who have to drive two hours to get to the closest mall. So not only are we talking about children, we're talking about really, really um, sheltered children who are not part of are not part of being put on the front page of the Washington Post by any means. A lot of what I have done, I've been very cautious to kind of keep in mind and remind people that these are children. So your people's curiosity or their claims or their statements all need to be reminded and redirected to you're also still talking about children. And, and that should be first and foremost before you move forward with anything, which is why, although I am aware of the children involved, um, I've, I've not named them because that is not that they're, they're, I wouldn't do that for anything based on their ages. Can it be confirmed as to what the gender identities of both children are? Absolutely not. Um, there, there's no confirmation and there's no factual basis to, to say anything other than um, we're talking about two volleyball teams, um, two, two female volleyball teams that um, play in two different high schools in North Carolina. Um, we, are, we can, can definitively say that um, all players on all teams that are being discussed are um, were approved to play on those teams, according to the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, um, based on their current requirements, based on their current rules. They were all eligible to play high school um, female volleyball. Even news reports of um, that have talked to, whether it be school board members or other people in um, Cherokee County, and that's the, the neighboring county that the Hiawassee Dam High School is located in, um, they have done news interviews since the, the incident occurred on September 1st. And even they have said, and in the school board meeting, when the decision was made, they even said that, that we don't know, and we don't know if there is a player on Highland's team that is transgendered. We've heard that there might be, um, like there may, one of the players might be transgender, but we don't know that. And we can't confirm that. And we don't. So our decision is in based on that. And that's been that's been made very clear by all parties since September 1st. How did this rumor just metastasize the way it did? I'm looking at the minutes from that meeting. And mm-hmm. the first time that word came out, it didn't come out from if I'm if I'm reading this right, this came out from an official from one of the high schools. Not from the school board, not even from Highlands, but it was somebody from a completely different high school entirely. Correct. I think um, I will say that as a, as a journalist and everything that I have found, I cannot definitively say that a player on either team is 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 transgender. But I also can't say that a player is trans is not transgender. There's nothing to say. Either way, 
I understand that there were that there was speculation or rumors as such. And the only thing that I could do as a journalist, um, whenever I first started looking into this, um, a month before any other media outlet reported on it or any other newspaper or TV began to sensationalize it or politicize it. Um, I looked back at um, the Highlands team and the Highlands volleyball team over the past four years. And um, the players on that team have played women's volleyball um, on that team the duration of their high school career. Um, prior to that, there's, there's, there's yearbooks that date back um, at that school that date back for when a when a senior at High, a current senior at Highlands school would be would have been in kindergarten and you look at those yearbooks and you look at you look at what's available publicly available and you look at the names that are on the roster for the the Highlands volleyball team today and you look at the yearbooks that go back at, to the beginning of their their elementary school career and um, those those players are little girls in kindergarten. So, um, that is the only thing that I can, I can confirm that I, that I can know that I, and that's whenever someone has asked me when you wrote your article, um, well, first off, no one's ever asked, like, they don't ask that they immediately begin to be really negative and hateful. And, um, that I'm trying to hide the fact, like, why aren't you telling the real story or why it really happened? Um, because I can't, I can't say that it happened because a player was transgender because there's nothing that's, that says that other than a rumor. And so when I look at all facts presented to me and everything that I can look at that are concrete, that have no opinion in it, that are black and white, it is that the players that currently play volleyball for Highlands High School, for every yearbook that I could find and every other public information from them being in the public school system for as far back as kindergarten are girls. So let me make sure I, I heard, heard what I just heard correctly. You dug all the way back to when these young when these young girls these young athletes were in kindergarten we're talking that's 2010 if you're scoring at home the same the same year you graduated from western carolina you dug back that far and yes. what you found was basically the 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 players who are at Highlands High right now you could go back to a kindergarten yearbook no, and find not, them not all of the players but the majority of the team, yes. It's a really small community. Highlands graduates about, I mean, their largest graduating class might be 30 high school seniors. It is a very small school. It's, I want Highlands, that's another important part to like understand for our, our, our demographic in general is that um, Highlands school is a, is a kindergarten through 12th grade school. So the, they, it's, it's the same school. So those seniors that are, that are on that volleyball team, they, they went to kindergarten in the same building that they're going in now. They're going in now. It might be on like the West side of the campus, but it's the same, it's the same school. No, um, no. Can you confirm the child in question for Highlands goes, that history goes back that far? I can. You can confirm. So that child in question, who's who's rumored to be, is in a kindergarten is in a kindergarten class photo through the Highland through Highlands back in back in 2010. Yes. Now, with all that in mind, I mean, take take off the journalist hat for a second, putting on the parent hat, because you are a parent. Gut reaction. 
to what you've seen in regards of all this situation, what you're seeing in these in the minutes from this meeting, from the rumors that are out there, just gut reaction as a parent. I think that something that I think is really telling is for every something that is something that is public information and that is easily accessible and readily available to any news outlet who has reported this um, is a photo of the Highlands High School volleyball team. Um, it's on public public social media sites. It's a quick Google. It's readily available. Um, there's not been a single news publication that I have seen that has published a photo of the Highlands volleyball team. In my opinion, I think that is because it doesn't fit the narrative that they're painting. Mind you, they are children, so some of them could say they're, but if that team would have won a state championship, you would have published the state, the picture of the by team the, on the by state. By the way, something that they had a chance to do because they did reach state 1A. They, they lost in the second round. They did. So um, that we, I mean, we do that all the time, right? Like in a newspaper, like a, a, a team photo, like that's, we would have done that. That didn't, that no one has posted that picture. I think because it doesn't fit the narrative, because I think when people think of a tr and, and in fact, to go a step further than that, one of the earliest articles that I, it wasn't an article, it was actually a YouTube video that I saw um, after I wrote my article, um, included a, a picture, like the thumbnail for the YouTube video was a picture of the, of the professional swimmer that was a transgender swimmer that made headlines a couple years ago. Um, you're talking, you're talking about Leah Thomas this past year. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that YouTube video. And so that's the picture that they use because that's that's the image that they want to paint is a, is a very bulky, a very fit, a very a very masculine looking looking athlete. Um, they could have used a photo of the Highlands volleyball team, and I think if you do that, it it you would get less of that shock factor because you would look at that team and you would say where who and that again that doesn't say that there that there's not an individual on that team that is transgender there very well may be however um we're not talking about we're not talking about a boy who decided his senior year of high school that he wanted to go and he wanted to play volleyball and so he decided to be a girl so he could join that team which i read in some articles is is how that came about um which that just simply isn't true and um, I think as a, as a mom, we're um, just like a basic empathetic human. Um, some of the comments and some of the, the things and the sensationalizing that I have seen is heart-wrenching. And I don't know how you can take something so personal for 17 year olds on both sides, both the player and the person that was injured and turn it into a political talking point for your own personal gain. That's, that's altruism at its finest. And that's, I don't, 
I can't wrap my head around how anybody can justify that. Well, for yourself, what are what are some of the things you've run up against just personally? Because one place I did stop off was the was the Southern Scoop Facebook page. And uh, and a lot of people were kind of like were kind of like lighting a fire under you in a sense. So going back to the we're a very small community um, in Macon County, not just Macon County, but Cherokee County's right over. I mean, it's like 45 minutes for us, really. It's not far. Um, I think a lot of the time there's a there's that, especially for local media. And it's not just for this story. It's in general. I get it. It's often. Um, you kind of get that, like, don't shoot the messenger mentality because it I don't. I mean, they can't get mad at a high school player. They can't get mad at a school or they, they have no one else to blame. So for some reason, it's my fault that I put that out there. And um, it wasn't that bad initially. Initially, people were kind of just like, wow, um, that it even occurred in our small little town. And I think there was a lot of the comments that you saw were people who weren't from Macon County and they were from neighboring neighboring counties um, like Cherokee County defending rightfully so the emotions and their, in their responses, defending the family, um, which is a well-known family, uh, in Hiawassee dam. Um, and so they, they were defending that, which I understand that emotional response to that, but I, I don't know how it came as if I was a, a villain or I was trying to, to paint a different picture or tell a different story, um, because I didn't, I didn't mention, I didn't say a player was transgender because I couldn't. Um, and initially, like I said, that wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't get that much traction or that much attention. But then when national outlets started picking up that story, which were about a month later, mind you. So it, it was about a month. Like I wrote, a, just, to, just to paint a timeline, the incident occurred on September 1st. That's when the injury happened. One of the Cherokee, so Cherokee County didn't only, Cherokee County has three high schools that would play Highland School. They have Murphy, they have Cherokee, they have Andrews, and they have, um, no, Murphy, Cherokee, and Hiawassee Dam. Um, they vote, They didn't just vote for Hiawassee Dam not to play. They voted for all of their high schools not to play Highlands again. However, Murphy had already played them one time. So, they didn't, they didn't initially, when the injury occurred, they didn't decide at their school board meeting, their monthly scheduled school board meeting that was videoed and that was, that was broadcast. They didn't, they didn't discuss it at that regularly scheduled meeting. That was two weeks after the incident occurred. The day before Hiawassee, Murphy played, which is, which is in that county. But then the day before Hiawassee Dam was scheduled to go to Highlands and play them again, they called a special called meeting um, for the following day. That's when they took the vote for no schools to play again um, and didn't notify anybody until the game was supposed to start at like 3.30. And the, I mean, they the schools found out day of both schools. There were parents that were buying tickets online to go to the game um, for both schools. And so it was kind of like, People were a little a little confused because the incident, like I said, hadn't. I mean, it'd been a month almost since even the incident occurred. So I wrote about it towards the beginning of October, and so we're talking three weeks before anybody else picked up that story. 
And so in none of the none of the, the follow-ups from anybody who who reported it or did anything, did they reference the Southern Scoop? Did they come back to me or did they come back to Southern Scoop or anything that I reported? Um but there nobody else wrote about it or reported about it, and they wouldn't have, have had any knowledge that it occurred if it wasn't for, for my story initially. But a month later, everyone else started to report it. And then people who read those accounts a month later then found the Southern Scoop article from a month prior and had comment after comment on my website about um, leftist media or this is why you can never trust the media or you're pushing your woke leftist agenda. Like someone just said that. I don't even know what a woke agenda is. I don't have any idea. And, um, and, and I kept telling people like you, you need to understand that this article was written a month ago. So when this article was written, Cherokee County, like nobody in Cherokee County was giving comments. Nobody, the school board did not return phone calls, not just for me, but other local media outlets at that time. They weren't, they weren't answering emails. They weren't answering phone calls. They were quiet on it. It wasn't until Education Alliance contacted them. Did they comment on anybody? Did they comment for anybody? And when they did that, that's when the article kind of went, went from there to other, to other news outlets that referenced that first article. Um, but other than that, the only thing I had from Cherokee County was from like a spokesperson who said it was due to safety concerns. I asked follow up. I said, I mean, even Macon County said they didn't have an injury report. They weren't made aware that there was any serious injury at any game. They um, they had no knowledge of any of that. I mean, they knew there was an injury, but they had no knowledge of the severity or that it was even being discussed, that there was concern. It was They were totally blindsided. Um, I talked to, to the Cherokee County representatives. I fought, tried to follow up with questions to ask, is the player okay? Is Was there... Was there was there a malicious intent? Because the only thing at that point we knew was that it was that it was due to an injury and safety concerns. They kept saying safety concerns. Um, at what safety concerns? And nobody could answer that specifically. Um, and so that's when that original article was written. That was what I had to go by. And so now everything else that has come out or anything, even back then, nobody would even say, we think a player was transgender. That like even Cherokee wouldn't say that. Of course they wouldn't say that. That would be, I mean, that'd be a federal lawsuit for discrimination. If you say you pulled a, a team, I asked the North Carolina high school athletic association. I talked to, to um, the commissioner of that. I said, Have, are you aware that there's this issue between these two schools? And they said, no, we've not been notified of any injuries. We've not been notified of any concerns. Um, we don't, we didn't know that they had forfeited those games. I mean, they don't, we don't make those decisions. They make it on the school level, but they, no, we have no information about any of that. Um, so a month before it became national news, I wrote everything that I possibly could at the time. And um, for some reason that was, that turned into me trying to hide something that still has to this day, hasn't been confirmed or validated or proven. Now, what do you know about the condition of the player who was injured? Um, she, as she, she didn't finish out the season. So one of the things that, that initially, um, initial, I know that she's, she's physically okay. Right. She's a, it's a really well, she's, she's a, a, prominent figure in her community her family is um she's um I know that she's like she's she's in school she's finishing out her school she's um she's doing she's doing okay from a day-to-day perspective she didn't finish she didn't 
play, finish the season with the rest of her team. It kept being reported that she's still suffering these injuries. And then it would link back to an article that came out on October 8th. However, we're talking like October 22nd. We're linking back to that article. There's not been an official update about her current about her current condition. Um, I know that she didn't finish out the season because the Cherokee Scout wrote an article um, about how Hiawassee Dam finished out the year. They were three to 18, maybe I'd have to pull it back up on the year. And they didn't make their, their season ended October 17th. They didn't make it to playoffs. They, they only won three games out of the, out of everything that they played this year. So, um, and in that article, it mentioned that, and it names the player didn't finish out the season due to an injury. Um, and so I know that she didn't finish out. She didn't play her final, her final games as, as a senior at Hiawassee Dam um, because, because of her injury, but in general, um, she's still, I mean, she's, she's not in the hospital or anything like that. So all these severe injury, cause you've heard all these reports of severe head and neck injuries and certain, certain groups like the education first Alliance have made this, they've, they've blown this up and they've made it seem like this kid's an invalid when the fact right. is, when the fact is this kid just took a ball in the face. Was probably was probably in the hospital for maybe a night, at most, and then they're back at school. Yes, she's. I mean, she's um, because it's a really small community, and it's and it's and it's on there. And like I said, the Cherokee Scout named named her that player. I mean, her dad is the um, the principal of Hiawassee Dam, and she, um, which I think might have played into the decision to not play. Um, for those schools not to play anymore. I think that that probably factored in some, um, I mean, she's, she had the school pu- publicized her senior night, the school, um, the school talks about how she was nominated to the homecoming court. Um, so she's, she's, she's still very much in the public eye. She's active on social media. Um, so she's, she's, I'm sure she still has, I, I'm not a doctor by any means, and I'm sure that there's still struggles or issues that she's facing because of that injury. I mean, if you've seen the video, it's a it's a pretty serious injury, and I and I have no doubt about that. But it not to the degree that that I think is being reported. I've seen I've taken a volleyball to the face. It's not fun, but it seemed like some of the reportage was beyond the pale. Now, one thing, putting the journalist back back on them. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on the re- on the reporting that you've seen from groups say like this was an outkick. Trans high school volleyball player uses vicious spike with seriously injured female opponent in highlight reel. That's been in five that's been by five different outlets. That is sensational journalism at its finest. Um and which is fine. And that's going to get clicks and that's, that's going to evoke those emotions that it needs to do. And for those types of outlets or those for that is fine for their demographic, but it, that, that doesn't tell the story about what happened. The same thing goes whenever people are trying to to claim that, that the spike was 70 miles an hour. First off, there's no, there's, there's absolutely no way that you can, you can, you can definitively say that by anybody could say that you can, you can't even, ethically put allegedly 70 miles an hour if you know anything about volleyball and look up anything about this the that's it's that's just not 
it's, that's just not even practical. And, um, and that's, that's also looking at like, like the causation for, a, and that speculation is just not something that anybody should put in print to, to, to do it. And in, in just in my opinion, I think that, um, you saw a lot of that in some of the comments that that started coming out once more news outlets picked it up. Whenever you whenever you saw people that talked about um, some of the, the the board members over in Cherokee County, whenever they said um, that it was um, the board wasn't searching out this kind of thing, it was just brought brought to our attention based on safety concerns. Somebody even said that like. Um, after seeing the the video of the injury, we felt very strongly about that it was a safety concern. I think most of the board members also felt that there was a competitive advantage issue. So I think that that's that's that would have been more accurate. But I don't know what competitive advantage issue, like how you can you can that's so disingenuous to try to say that or to report that because you're you're. I mean, Hiawassee Dam High School went three and eighteen on the season. They weren't at that time. I think they might have won one game at the time of that this decision was made. So I mean, it's not your competitive issue isn't in 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 the teams that you're playing. And Highlands High School aren't dominating other high schools. They got knocked out of the second round of the state playoffs. They weren't even first in their comp. I mean, they didn't. They lost to other like team Murphy. Like they lost to other teams in the conference. Um, it wasn't like they were they were putting out. Olympic athletes that that these other kids were playing against. We're talking about somebody who spends her summers um, on travel volleyball teams that are that are putting in the extra work into and to doing every camp and every opportunity that she has to better her sport that she's looking that she's dedicated her life to. So trying to say that it's a safety issue or that it's competitive. So if it's a competitive advantage issue, why didn't you pull against all the other teams that have that have beat you in the season because you were three and eighteen? I, that's the only competitive advantage that I see is that they they put up better players. So I don't saying it's because that one of the players might have been a boy doesn't fit any other part of like it doesn't fit the puzzle that you're trying to put together. Well, one thing is there was someone on your Facebook page, you said, wait a minute, this kid played travel volleyball for me. This kid's just a good kid. Right. I think, I think that another, a part of that also, when it goes, when it goes back to looking at how small of a community that we are, I mean, we don't, we might have like some, some players that, that go off to like, might play, you know, professional or like uh, college ball and like the next level, like maybe, um, every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, not to discount those athletes at the schools, but like, it's just in general, they're, they're smaller schools. They have, they have few opportunities to get to those sports. And so to, for, for there to be an athlete of that caliber here and, and performing the way that, that, that volleyball player is performing in and of itself is, is, is a tremendous accomplishment based on, based on just our area. And so I think a lot of that, um, thinks that there has to be some other, some other, some other reason why, because you can't be that good and be from here kind of thing. Um, And I think that that's, that is an attitude that a lot of them have. But if you loop those comments and you, people that say, I coached her in middle school, I coached her 
in rec league. I coached her in travel league and she's just a really good player. Um, and she's always been a really good player. And, um, I don't, it's, it's, it's really telling to see the amount of people who actually know her and know the situation and know the team who can have first accounts attest to something versus people behind a keyboard on the internet who don't, who don't know anything about Highlands, who don't know, who doesn't know anything about Macon County, who don't know anything about this team that can make these false accusations. And I think that, or, not false accusations, allegedly false accusations, because I can't confirm one way or the other. Um, I just think that that's really telling that the people who who have ever looked that player in the eye can can be so grounded and and assured in what they say to defender versus someone who's who's never even watched her play. Now, let's say let's say. Things come out in the wash. Things go out in public that this that this student athlete is a transgender girl. Right. How would the area respond? How do you think your neighbors would respond? I think that we live in probably the reddest part of the state. I think that that's a lot of. I think that there's a lot of unknowns and people aren't really familiar with with um and transgender individuals so i think that maybe that fear or that lack of knowledge and education might be um might be solicit a lot of negative reaction um but then again i think that we're also a really close-knit community so i think that that the people who know who know her and know her family or know that school and, and, and know the, the, the history and, and know that I think that they would, they would know that she's earned everything that she's gotten. Now flip side to that. Mm-hmm. What if it turns out it's not true? What if it turns out that this kid sis? this is a cisgender girl who's just really, really good because I've seen other videos of who the player could be. Mm-hmm. In in recruiting videos, and that player, I mean, obviously the video is kind of grainy. You really don't know, but I've seen other highlight reels. This could just be a what if this kid's just a really good cisgender girl who is just that good? How do you think people would react to that? And how do you think your neighbors would react, for example, to the fact that one of their own? some outlet from way outside North Carolina put this story out there. And now this story has become the next, the next wave of the hysteria that seems to be sweeping the country. I think that they, um, I think that, I don't think that there would be anything that could change anyone's minds based on whether or not that player is biologically male or female. I don't think if that player was standing in front of you and you thought that it was a transgender player and she's looking at you and she's telling you that she is not, I don't think that that would be enough to change the people who think that who've already made up that their minds. Um, I don't think that there would be anything. I think it's kind of like a, let me like the, the, 
let me see a birth certificate. And even when you do, it doesn't matter type type situation. I don't, I don't think it would really make a difference if, if you thought she was a biological male or if it ever mattered that she was born a male and is now playing as a female, if that mattered to you before it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't believe anything else. I don't think it would change anybody's mind. Exit question. How, how is covering this story in effect? How, how do you think it's affected you if it has, and how do you think it will affect the way you approach journalism? I tend to often be, to flirt with the line or be a little bit guilty of, I wouldn't go so far as to say opinion journalism. I don't, I don't do that, but I am a one person show and I, um, I have always said that as long as Republicans think I'm too liberal and liberals think I'm too conservative that I'm doing that I'm I'm doing just fine and um 99% of the time I accomplish that um I also think that the southern scoop in general was was established because a lot of our local media rely on advertisers and local businesses and we're very very small community. And so if you make one of them mad, they're not going to give you their advertising dollars. And, um, and that, and I've seen, I've personally seen working in the newspaper and print publications and in the area, I've seen that play out and I've seen that impact the type of stories or how things are reported because of that. The Southern scoop doesn't have that. Isn't, isn't bound by those same requirements or those same worries because I do the Southern Scoop because I think it, it needs to be done. It is not my primary source of income. It is not my main job. Um, it it costs me money to do most days. Um, so I think that if anything, it, the amount of negative or the amount of of questioning whether or not I can I can I think someone told me I need to go to journalism school. I got like, that was one of the comments that some fake Facebook that was created to troll me about this was, um, I think that it's not going to change anything that I do other than to ensure that I continue to do it because it needs to be done. Every time I read an article that calls that player transgender affirmatively, not allegedly transgender, not rumors, transgendered, just says a trend, even like, a transgender player or even a, a player that who is biologically male. Cause I keep reading that every time I read that, it reminds me why I do what I do because there isn't, there isn't it. You cannot accurately and factually say that you just cannot. It does not matter how many times you've read it. It does not matter if you send me a link to Fox news or MSN or the New York Post, who are all quoting the origin story, which goes back to the Education First Alliance, which is a far right uh, blog or, or group or organization. It doesn't. It doesn't matter where what what your how many you quote say. Well, this this newspaper says it's transgender. This person says it's a biological male. This one says, and that's great. But can any of them tell you where how they know that, where they know that, or confirm that they know that? They don't. They just say it. I can tell you the sky is blue all day long. All I can look at it and tell you it's blue 
all day long. But if somebody says that it's red, does that make them right? It just because they say it, it doesn't mean it's true, and it just doesn't. And that that holds true for journalism. It holds true for for any any sort of reporting. And they it just there's no there's no way that anybody can say that. And um, unless it, unless they can 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 confirm how they know that without a shadow of a doubt. And, and be able to give their source for being able to say that, then it just reminds me of why I do what I do and that I need to keep doing it. And the fourth estate is glad that you are doing what you're doing. Thank you. Brittany Lofthouse, thank you for being in the transporter room this week. And you keep writing. Thank you. I'm going to br- gonna beam Brittany back down to Western North Carolina. and But before we go, Carly's last call. And our guest this week and the story they've covered goes right to the heart of something very important to me, free speech. Free speech and the First Amendment here in the USA are important to me because they're my business. I am a journalist. I have been for over 30 years. Free speech is a cornerstone of my craft, my art, my profession. However, I'm also of the belief that just because speech is free, it doesn't need to be worthless. What is the value in supposition, hysteria, rumor, whether it's on a volleyball court in North Carolina, a locker room in Vermont, or the championship swim meet in Atlanta? What is the value of the demonization of people, youth especially? I'm asking the people who made these immediate judgments in the case we just talked about today, or on other cases just as the continuing libel on Leah Thomas bordering on a criminal, a question. And all, even to the idea that kids in a school are identifying as cats asking for a litter box in a classroom. How much is your free speech actually worth? Is it worth the price of Twitter? $44 billion, that's how much Elon Musk paid to buy it. And immediately by claiming that hate speech is okay as free speech, the value is going to drop. And one of the first things, as expected, Elon Musk says he's going to review the rules on misgendering, rules that Twitter has really mostly ignored anyway. What is the value for a Caitlyn Jenner to go after Dylan Mulvaney? Yes, former Olympian term Fox News trans whisperer has some pointed words about the TikTok influencer, including doing that creepy cisgender thing again. We of the transgender community would really like it if you quit speculating on people's genitalia. Not only is it rude, it's really kind of creepy. I even wrote a song about it. Want to hear it? Here it go. They're creepy and they're kooky. They're right wing and they're spooky. Discussing bits of Zuki, just stay away from me. Jenner has the right to say it, but what was it worth? To Mulvaney's credit, she used her free speech to elevate the conversation. And I'm just curious if you can think back to your early days of transitioning and remember being embarrassed about your body or having strangers give you dirty looks. That's why I made that video, because I was embarrassed and I wanted to reclaim my body in a positive way. You know, I'm just, I'm not as far along as you. Please be patient. And, you know, now that I think about it, I I don't even think I have interest in getting to know you because the way you use your platform to publicly degrade me, it it told me everything I needed to know about you. And uh, a trans person invalidating another trans person's transness is pretty evil in my eyes. Like, the call is coming from inside the house. It's coming off very selfish. You know, is no one else allowed to be trans? And I'll be posting the complete video in the liner notes. But mainly, 
What Mulvaney had to say was graceful, honest, and classy speech that's worth something. And right now we're seeing an example of that, of the First Amendment, even being extended to a guest in our country right now. British transphobe Kelly Jean Keene or Posey Parker, not 100% sure on which name she's using this week, is engaging in a U.S. tour, or as I like to call it, transphobia across America. And true to form, she's saying some ugly things, much like the things she said to former Outsports managing editor and former co-host of this podcast, Dawn Ennis, at the NCAA Swim Championships in Atlanta in March. Now, Keene is planning a few more stops, Florida, D.C., New York City among those. And I implore those who may wish to counter-demonstrate to take a page out of the Ennis playbook when she confronted Keene and her clan of Karens. Ennis engaged with them, but she did not demean them. She used her free speech and made it worth something. I implore you to do the same. Oh, and a note to British Foreign Minister James Cleverly. Since you wish to scold LGBTQ soccer fans on being good guests at the World Cup in Qatar coming up later this month, I sincerely hope that when Ms. Keene returns to Britain that you bring her over to Westminster, have some tea, sit her down, and perhaps have a good chat about what being a gracious guest in another country means. But given that your ruling Tory party has designs to send LGBTQ rights back to the Section 28 days, I'm sure you will not exercise that free speech. Homophobia and transphobia. It's why we can't have nice things. And that's the transporter room for this week. I want to thank, especially thank Brittany Lofthouse for being here. It was special to have her here, and it's always good to talk to another journalist. And if there's something you want to see, someone you want to see, or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on my Twitter, my Facebook page, and at our Instagram page, Transporter Room 10 Forward. Remember, everything that I do here at the Transporter Room, I do for all of you, the people who support us. And also, before I go, a special note to all those who are part of Transporter Room Nation here in the United States. If you're not registered to vote yet, you still can do it. And if you are registered, do it early voting, do it by mail, do it absentee, or on Tuesday, November 8th, show up to your polling station and cast your vote. Two, four, six, eight. Vote and participate. It's your democracy. Act like you own it. Because you do. That's the transporter room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.